Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today for my first live interview is Debbie Weinstein. Hello, Debbie. Hey, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here. And I love doing this live. I I love, love, love that. In person is so much better. Amen. (laughs) So tell the audience about yourself. Who is Debbie Weinstein? Well, it's kind of complicated. I grew up in a small town in New York outside of the city. I have moved all over the country afterwards with college and just to be footloose and fancy free. Met my husband in Washington State and we drove across the country after we hitchhiked across the country first. Yes. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, if my kids were ever to do that, I'd have to, you know, I'd have heart failure. But (laughs) we ran out of money in West Virginia. We literally had some friends here, so we thought we'd stay a while at work and then keep moving on. And we never left. You never left. Nope. And we love it here. We love it here. We did go to Montana for four years. James was a Western boy, my Mm -hmm. husband, James Ross. And uh, after my stepson graduated from high school, we moved out west. And And, it was beautiful. And that didn't last because you ended up back here. Yeah. You know, something about losing my strawberries in my garden to frost (laughs) in August. Like I told James, I I just can't get old out here. Not in August, losing strawberries to frost. Nope. Well, we are so glad you were here. Yet You came back to the Charleston area. And you have been now with the, the Charleston YWCA for a number of years, and you're transitioning from your post to retirement. So how's it feeling? Must be a kind of an anxious time? or It's been very complicated. I went through a month where I was crying on everyone and anyone. Aww. As soon as I'd utter the word, I'm the outgoing CFO, CEO, Uh I would just burst into tears. It was, um, it's a little complicated because my husband died three years ago Mm -hmm. and I know what retirement looked like with him, but I'm knowing, I have faith that God is going to open doors for me and I'll figure out my next journey because I'm a planner and an executor. And the fact that I couldn't plan my retirement, (laughs) I planned the date but I have no clue what I'll be doing. But I have faith, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the next journey. If I can sidetrack with you and share a little story oh, with go you. Ahead, go ahead. I had two mentors as a young woman who worked into their 70s, and they were CEOs. And it was to the detriment of their organizations. Mm. And I learned from that. I made the commitment when I'm closing in on 65, no matter how passionate I am, no matter how much fire I have in my belly, which is the same thing as passion, mm-hmm. um, that I would step aside. And so that is why I am stepping aside. I do bleed persimmon, which is the color of the YWCA, <laughs> and will be a lifelong advocate for the mission of the YWCA, which speaks to eliminating racism and empowering women. And whatever that looks like in my next journey, 
that will always be part of my heart. It's words of wisdom right there. 65. So you had, you had that number picked out yeah. years ago. When yeah. I was probably 35. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. So describe your career trajectory. And, you know, what has that been alive as you, as you what, what was that like as you rose through the ranks to be CEO and are there challenges that you had to overcome? Well, I was really blessed. I started out at the YW as a volunteer at our domestic violence shelter. Wow. And then I came on board as a young woman in my early 20s doing the graveyard shift at our mm. battered women's shelter. Mm-hmm. And that meant scrubbing toilets and answering the crisis line in the middle of the night and hearing these stories that absolutely broke your heart over and over and over again. And this is pre-cell phones, so women are trying to take corded phones into closets or bathrooms and whisper and, Mm. you know, it just, it was, it was so eye-opening. And I did that job for a year. I had that Mm -hmm. job for a year. And then the YWCA in our old building on Quarrier Street was opening up the Sojourner Shelter for homeless women and children. It was just an overnight shelter right by the swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) And um, that was very interesting. My first night there, I had a woman in the morning who was 83 years old who was sick as a dog, and she said, do I have to leave? I, I, I get this every year. I have, she had a fever of like 103, and I'm like, something is wrong with this picture, Mm. this being an overnight shelter. Where are these people supposed to go during the daytime? Right. And that was the beginning of, you know, when we were seeing maybe eight women a night to, I stayed for nine years, I transitioned us to one, two, three shelters. And the homeless population just exploded in the 80s. And it had to do with huge federal budget cuts to HUD. Mm, So mm. HUD housing was falling into disrepair. Mm -hmm. There was no new housing. And it was was pretty frightening. So ultimately, we transitioned to the building we're in now, which is a 75-bed shelter. And it's for single women, women with children, men who have custody of their kids Mm -hmm. and families. And so... Then it was time to move to Montana. Mm-hmm. My stepson graduated from high school, and we went, and first thing I did was apply for a job with the YWCA, <laughs> and I was in that job just for a couple of months before I was selected to be the CEO of the YW in Missoula. In Missoula, okay. Yeah. And it was wonderful. I loved the people. I loved everything about it. But as I said, I didn't like losing my strawberries to frost in August. Mm -hmm. And so I got a call from the then president of the YW Charleston Board of Directors, Loretta Hattie. She's like, Deb, what are you doing right now? I'm like, writing a grant to get domestic violence advocates in the courthouses. Why? And she told me that their CEO had just walked out the door Mm. and asked if I'd be interested in coming back as the CEO. And I felt like I had really good experience under my belt from Missoula. Mm -hmm. And I never stopped loving the YW Charleston, never stopped loving the people here. 
And so my husband was generous enough to say, if this is a job you really want, let's do let's this. Let's move back. Yeah. That was your job. You, that was destiny. That was a blessing and a yeah. gift that yeah. was just, I mean, how many people in their life wake up every morning excited to go to work? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you understand that. Absolutely. With your Absolutely. current job. And it's, it's such a blessing. You're so much more effective when you love what you do in the social services and racial justice world. And it's not like work. It's just, to, no. to me, it's like it was ministry. It was just doing what needed to be done to help others, just, just a part of ministry. So um, reflecting on your years at the YW here in, in Charleston, what are you most proud of? What, what would you point to? Could you point to one or two things that you're most proud of? I will point to one thing that just has me singing a song and <laughs> every morning when I wake up, and that is our racial equity and inclusion work. Um, we have always been doing it, but we have not always had staff. Uh, that that was their only designated. job, mm-hmm. yes. And so um, I just, I, I, I think it was when a terrible mass shooting occurred in Charleston, South Carolina with a mother, Emanuel. At the church. Church, should, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. That, you know, we did several things around the community. We raised money for the church. And I finally just said, we can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. We have to have designated staff. And I went to a YWCA uh, leadership meeting, and um, I was talking to this woman in Pennsylvania who was a YWCEO who had a race against racism. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, we all adopt each other's ideas. We Mm -hmm. all have Mm -hmm. the same mission. We help each other out. And so I told my development director, we're going to have a race against racism. This community is ready for that. And I'm so excited about the idea. And the funds that we raised with that will help us to pay for staff. Mm -hmm. It was like when um, President Obama became president, foundations were like, okay, we've gotten there. So we don't need to do any racial equity and inclusion work. We don't need to fund it. (laughs) Amen to that. We have seen that. So... Um, we started off with that. That gave us funds to hire a part-time racial equity and inclusion director. But that's not enough. That is absolutely And that was enough. a great race, though. I remember that was because I was, at the time, I was running 5Ks, and I would, you know, go to the race, and there were not, not that many people of color. And that was one of the most diverse races I've seen in Charleston and continues to be so. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of the most diverse events. Events. Yeah. You know, that's so true. And it's something that thrills me because there's such joy at that race. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. are so joyous. It's like you found your brothers and sisters who who love you regardless of what you look like, mm-hmm. what religion mm-hmm. you are, what your abilities or lack right. thereof are. And so... But it just wasn't enough. I mean, a part-time person mm-hmm. to do the lion's share of this work was not enough. So I consulted with one of my f- most important mentors in my work, and that would be Kitty Dooley, mm-hmm. and talked to her about chairing a 
an endowment fund, a racial equity and inclusion endowment fund, a $1 million endowment fund that would give us on average forty to 50000 additional dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And then we could hire a full-time person and, and an intern. And I was on fire about that. And Kitty was on fire about that. Elizabeth Pellegrin joined us in leadership. Mm-hmm. We put together an amazing committee and... Right when we were at the million-dollar mark, an anonymous donor reached out to Kitty and I and said, I'll give you $500,000 if you can raise an additional 500000 What a challenge. That wow. is awesome. That was such an amazing gift. And so ultimately, we landed with $2.5 million. That wow. has given us our director, our assistant director, money for an intern, and my last project that I'm doing <laughs> that I don't know if I'll get finished, I know construction won't be finished before I leave, is we're creating the first YWCA Center for Racial Equity and, and Inclusion in the state of West Virginia. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're so excited about that, Michelle. I mean, we can do trainings there. We'll have libraries there for kids and adults. When the legislature's in session and there's contentious legislation, we can have community meetings there mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. really process and strategize how we're going to take that on. That is um, wonderful. Yeah, so we are trying to raise um, around six hundred dollars to $700,000 to renovate the building on Elizabeth Street mm-hmm. that used to be our gently used furniture store. Okay. Yep, and we're at 250000 with some proposals out. So if anyone is listening to this podcast and is so inclined to help us get this building renovated, we're talking new roof, new HVAC, we have to rip out all the electrical in the building because it's outdated. Wow. And it's also a tired-looking building on the inside and out. We're going to Just needs give to be refreshed. Facelift. Yes. Yes. What a, that would be a great legacy, you know, when, when that's done. Yeah. That, that is awesome. So you, you are a leader of leaders, um, especially in the, the nonprofit sector. Describe your, you know, you've got, I know, the why from my work at the foundation. It's like multiple huge organizations under that whole why uh, umbrella. So describe in, in your leader, you know, being a, this, their leader for so many years, how would you describe your leadership style? I strongly believe in the team style of management okay, okay. and that the buck stops here. Mm-hmm. That sometimes when your managers have diverse opinions about directions um, that can't be resolved with consensus, ultimately you You've have to make be the, the decision maker. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But... If you don't empower your team, how are they going to empower people underneath them? That's right. And they have the best ideas. Mm. Mind their ideas. I'll tell you, no man, no woman is an island. And if anyone thinks they are, then they're going to implode their nonprofit. They absolutely won't implode it. Absolutely. So I have been blessed for years and years to have an amazing team. I also have a super strong relationship with our board of directors and our executive committee. Mm-hmm. We have a great nominating committee process. We look out to see 
okay, three years down the road, who's rolling off the board? Mm -hmm. What skill sets mm -hmm. are they taking? We need to have HR. We need to have finance. We need to right. have this, that, mm -hmm. and the other. And so having a really strong relationship with your board and not being afraid to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing their skill sets and their gifts to the organization. Tap them. During COVID, I was pro during the worst of COVID, mm -hmm. I was probably on the phone with Dr. Gina Bush every other day because protocols were changing right, so right. fast. Um, we have HR specialists, when, so when we have a real HR problem, we can walk through the problem, come up with great solutions. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to ask people for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So based on your experience, what are some keys to making a positive impact in the community-based nonprofit sector? Because, you know, the why is renowned for the impactful programs that you have. So if you, you, know, if you, if, if you reflect on your years there, um, what are some keys to making positive impact in the, in the nonprofit sector? I feel very strongly that you've got to stick with your mission. And if your mission becomes irrelevant, then it becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And go with where community needs are. But while you have a strong and relevant mission, like eliminating racism and empowering women, that I think will be a relevant mission for centuries, tragically yeah. to come. I feel mm -hmm. like women's rights are getting stepped back farther than I've seen in my lifetime mm -hmm. and civil and racial justice is it's appalling it is appalling it, it'll take some time to change yes. that yeah yep so stick with your mission stick with your mission um the other thing is you have to look at sustainability um, that's huge isn't it it's huge mm -hmm. and it's so hard to do when you're just scraping by mm -hmm. <clears throat> um but if you don't look down the road for how you're going to manage this in tough times, mm -hmm. you're going to be in trouble because we are going through tough times now. Mm -hmm. People's investments in the stock markets are, are doing so poorly. Therefore, philanthropy is not what it is during times of prosperity. And if you don't have your plan B to lean on, what are you going to do? Cut services? Shut down programs? That's when people need you the, the most. Right. Now is when people need you the most. Yeah. yeah. So those are some takeaways that I mm -hmm. feel very strongly yeah. about. Sustainability, definitely. And, and just avoiding mission creep. Yes. It's, it's so tempting to do at times when maybe a, a donor may approach you for some, with something new. Yeah. That is so true. And you're you're already sharing some words of wisdom for for nonprofit up and coming nonprofit CEOs. Like, what other words of wisdom would you like to share? You have to be fearless. When people are naysayers, you have to get people who are visionaries around mm -hmm. you to help you figure out where the naysayers are coming from, and to address that, but not to be afraid of it to be mm -hmm. fearless. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kitty Dooley, again, my mentor, has helped me along this route with the racial equity and inclusion work. Being fearless means going up to the legislature and saying, 
are you kidding me? <laughs> you want this to be an inclusive state. You want our kids to come back. Why are you throwing up barriers? Mm-hmm. Um, so fearless in those ways, fearless in finding relevant, mission-relevant new initiatives to strengthen your organization is just it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It keeps you on your toes. And yeah. yeah. Fearless. Anything else? Any other words of wisdom? I know I've touched on this, mm-hmm. but empowering your staff mm-hmm. is just so critical. Um, again, if you don't empower them, how are they going to empower others? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. mine, their beautiful minds for solutions to what could be problems. Oh, another thing. What we're doing right now is my incoming CEO, CEO, Mm -hmm. Jeepers, um, Mm -hmm. Jennifer Goddard and I are doing risk assessments with every Mm -hmm. program. We had a two-year risk assessment. We had a committee led by Betty Ireland, who is just brilliant. And a great committee and two years to identify risks with every program and solutions to mitigate the risks. So we are not doing a two-year plan right now. We are doing, you know, we're in the midst of a couple of months of really assessing this and coming up with mitigation strategies. And you always have to be looking after risk because with risk comes liability. Right. Especially serving the populations that yeah. that you serve. Right. One last thing. Oh, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Mm-hmm. Be a collaborator. Mm-hmm. Be a part of the fabric of this community. I always have said on the other side of collaboration is synergy, and on the other side of synergy is magic. And so we can do things in this community people wouldn't dream could be done. Mm-hmm. unless we all get together, put our heads together, and not just co-op, cooperate, but collaborate. Collaborate, and, and you have to have a vision. Or yes. You need a grand vision that's beyond what we, what we currently see to be able to make that happen as well. Very true. Absolutely. So what, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you first started as the CEO of the Y? So... One of the things is don't be afraid to ask people to step up. Um, and this is Elizabeth Pellegrin. I'm reminded of, of something that happened with Elizabeth Pellegrin. Years ago, she was the chair of our marketing committee. Mm-hmm. And she was on our board. And she said to me at one point, why do you all not ask me to move into leadership? And she was frustrated. And I said... Mm-hmm. Because I thought you were so busy that you would quit everything if I asked if you would contemplate moving into leadership. And let me tell you, she was absolutely one of the best board wow. presidents we've ever had. So don't make an assumption. Don't assume. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, we had my father. We made a sweatshirt for him. Never assume because that was his favorite expression. But, you know, sometimes it's the busiest of people. Do who, the most work. Yes. Mm-hmm, who have the mm-hmm. biggest hearts and go way out on a limb, way out on a limb for what they believe to be true. So true, so true. And we've got lots of people like that around here. Yeah. Such this is generous a, uh, people. 
Yes. I've, I've found in, in this community here in Charleston. It, I happen to agree with you. I'm so glad my kids are natives. Mm-hmm. You know, this community yeah. accepted this Yankee here with open arms and big hearts. And never remember, <laughs> never forget that James and I rented our first house that we rented was a tar paper shack with one bedroom and little gas heaters on the floor mm-hmm. for our heat. And our first day when we came home from work, there was a bag of fresh vegetables overflowing on our porch. Found out it was from the neighbors, you know, closest to us who had never laid eyes on us, but knew that we were new to the community. Mm-hmm. Second day, we had the same thing happen, and it was our landlord. Aww. and. That was the beginning of our love affair with West Virginia. When people say West Virginians would give their coat off their back if it was the last coat they have, it is true. Mm-hmm. The kindest people, most inclusive people, generous people. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. I say ditto to all that because I'm a transplant as well, and I've found nothing but great people here in Charleston and the surrounding areas for sure. Yeah. So what's next for you, Deb, as you retire at the end of 2022? What's what's next? Well, my kids are the best. I have two stepkids and two biological kids and mm-hmm. four grandkids. And the kids have all put their money together to rent an Airbnb in St. Pete's, Florida, where okay. I've never been okay. for like nine days as a celebration to my retirement. And I I'm so excited because my family lives all over the country. And mm-hmm. so to, for everyone to come together is just really the neat. world's best time. And then I'm going to stay in South Carolina with my daughter for several months. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a snowbird okay. until I figure out my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I can't really tell you what it's going to look like here there you know a foot in both worlds but and you can do whatever from anywhere these days right <laughs> that is true <laughs> and this community is my family mm-hmm. this community took me and lifted me up and helped me to become the person i am mm-hmm. and my kids live all over the place they don't live together in all different states so this is where I will primarily be. I love Charleston. I That's love awesome. it. And Charleston loves you. Any any parting words as we wrap up the conversation? Yeah, I, I just had another thought. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid of people who are cruel and try and take you to your knees because that has happened to me over and over and over again. And... You know, you just, you have to be stronger than their ugly feelings Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. wanting you to fail. Um, We had a woman who died outside of Sojourners. Right when Amy Goodwin was taking office, it was wintertime. And the rumors that blew up on Facebook that we didn't let her in, well, she had come in the shelter the night before at midnight and said, I can't stay in a shelter. And we knew her and knew that she couldn't. Um, because of mental health and addiction issues. But we kept her, we gave her coffee, we gave her sandwiches, and then she disappeared out when she was ready to go. 
the next night she never knocked on our door but Mm. the rumors were that she had frozen to death on the street and that she had frozen to the ground and how awful we were and I had the most horrible things I've ever heard in my life said about me. That's when I got off social media. I'm just, these are such cheap, ugly pot shots. So, but we just worked through it. As it turns out, we met with this woman's two brothers. Um, one of them is a business owner in Huntington, another's a 30 year employee of the Postal Service. And they shared with us that she had been ill, mentally ill for decades and decades, and they had tried to house her over and Mm. over again. But she couldn't stay in a shelter, nonetheless, a house or an apartment. And um, it was a very painful time. I'm having the mayor call me, you know, I'm having president of city council, please explain what's going on, because it just blew up. And then, of course, the medical examiner comes out with, she died of natural causes. She did not freeze to death. She did was her body was not frozen to the ground. But the cheap pot shots that people take, you have to be stronger than them. You right. just have to be stronger yes, than them. Folks just think they can say anything on especially in social media. Yeah. They just think they can say anything at any time about, you know, yep. just spreading hate and it's just so sad. Yeah. The gross generalizations that people make also astound me. But not so much anymore. Yeah, we've Victims, seen so much of it. It's very, yeah, it's very awful. disturbing. Yep. Yeah. Um, why don't victims of domestic violence leave? They should just leave. Well, you know what? Not, when you've had an abuser, yeah. right? Threaten. You ever leave me, I'm going to kill your gonna sister, kill and you. no one will yeah. ever know that I did it. And if you ever leave me, the animals, mm. I'm going to take them out. Just the the. Things that keep people victims are so awful. And, you know, same things about homeless women and children. You know, um, the people who come and seek shelter generally have enough mental health and lack of addiction that they want shelter, they want help. So don't make them out to be these awful people. And homeless street people, most are not awful people. They were somebody's kid, mm-hmm. and something terrible happened in their lives. They're ill. Yes. They're, yep. they, they have an illness. Yeah. Absolutely. So I know it's going to be hard for you to unwind from, <laughs> from these passions, but um, thank you so much for making time for, for this uh this interview for this conversation and I wish you all the best in whatever your new season will bring. Thank you so much. And I have to tell you, I have the greatest of admiration for you. The work that you're doing at the foundation has been breathtaking. Your racial equity and inclusion work and focus has been amazing. And I love your big picture thinking and Thank you so much. You guys are doing an amazing, amazing job. And I love your staff. They're all about being helpful. They're the best, aren't they? I don't know. Maybe (laughs) our staff can compete with that. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Thank you so much, Deb. Thanks so much, Michelle.